0: Yes, of course. Burl Bear. <laughs> I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone.
1: Ah, yes. Ladies and gentlemen, the following program is produced with a vengeance by Magic Matt Allen on the Outlaw Radio Network. I am the legendary Burl Bear, the man in the lawyer chair, Don Waldman, how do you like that for an intro? <laughs> it's very novel. You know, I always keep meaning to ask you, how did you become legendary? Uh, it was a, a conscious decision on my part, and I'll tell you exactly so what happened. It was a unilateral decision. <laughs> well, Is that yeah, the idea? Yes, it was. I'm going to be legendary. I tell you exactly when it happened. Okay. It happened in 1965 while I was attending the University of Washington. Uh, there was an interview done with me by the University of Washington Daily Bruin. Why? because I was a legend. <laughs> come on, come on, come on. Come no, on. because I was, I was on the radio at a tender age and attending the University of Washington. So, so you
0: did college radio?
1: No, I did uh, KJR, Mighty 95. Oh, that's just as <laughs> good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> while, while I was going to call back, I was working three radio stations simultaneously for a while uh, using the same name, three different formats, which was not too common. I was doing Soul Radio, KYAC, in the morning as, as Burl Bear, Prince of Darkness. Uh, I was doing 8... Well, that's a little closer <laughs> to the truth, I think. Uh, 8 p.m. till midnight at KIRO, Radio 71, playing Andre Kostel and the singing strings and... Oh, spare me that. And I'll, and I'll tell you something, for those of you... I hope you're putting me on. No, this is true. And not only that, but this fabulous, highly influential radio station did not have broadcast turntables. They had home record players <laughs>
0: Wait a minute. <laughs> I'm home, not kidding you. Home record player, well, they, they plugged it into what?
1: There was, it was plugged in like a, a, a radio station, except instead of being professional broadcast turntables next to you where you could queue up records. Right. It was like a dual you know, brand name, Gerard, mm-hmm. record player with a spindle. forty nine ninety five, right? And they were not within reaching distance of the microphone. <laughs> Okay. Well, you had to get up and walk over and you put on a stand and now in a few moments, the next cut <laughs> yeah, and uh, <laughs> this is a true story you, you, you doubt my veracity on this and then from midnight to 6 I played the hits on KJR Mighty 95 but I had to leave each Place 15 minutes early or 20 minutes early to make it to the other radio station to do my other show but I didn't have to keep track of my name because I used the same name on every station
0: Use your own name, I hope. <laughs> yes, I did. So, again, how'd you become legendary?
1: Well, they were interviewing me at the University of Washington Daily Bruin, and um, Jerry Kay was known as the legendary Jerry K. on KJR. Was,
0: uh, Another DJ, I
1: guess. Yes, right? and uh, he was an influence on me, and so I said, I am the legend's legacy. And it stuck, and they just started calling me the legendary Burl Bear. Oh, well, I'm sorry. And then I mentioned that I was <laughs> raised on records and born to rock and roll, and then once it was determined I owned that town at night, it was smooth
0: sailing. There has to be a button on you that you push and that pops out of your mouth. It does,
1: yeah. What was it Johnny Cosmo says? I'm an encyclopedia falling down a flight of stairs. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so today we're doing a handwriting uh, well, yeah, analysis we, expert, we, we, except we, you can't find us. Except you can't find us. So
1: maybe I should have written the directions in longhand. <laughs> Holy cow. However, being as a, you are an attorney, at least according to your reputation. Yes, You are familiar with the concept of forensic document examination.
0: Yeah, and uh, we were talking about it uh, driving up here, and and the truth of the matter is that more often than not, you bring in a forensic document analyst, or a handwriting expert, as we say in English, and uh, they review a document and they find it fraudulent. That's pretty much going to be the end of it. Uh, That case isn't going to go to court.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, that's the same thing our beloved guest who may show up, told me when I was first talking to him that...
0: Unless you've got dueling experts, but not in handwriting, no, usually. No,
1: no. If you've got a situation, well, one of some of the things they do, and this goes back all the way to, I think, 1910, the first book on this called Question Documents by uh, Albert S. Osborne, that there's been forgery practiced in the ever since, and in every country where there's been writing as a medium of communication, whether it's a forged signature or a forged deed or a forged will. Sometimes it's cut and paste, sometimes it's a matter of identifying the signature. Uh, also, uh, interpolations, like, say, a typewriter. One thing's hyped on one typewriter, and then someone adds something. Yeah. But it's a different brand of typewriter. Well, yeah. maybe the same font. One of the most you know.
0: common examples that uh, are being dealt with are the banks and the deposits and withdrawals that are phonies mm-hmm. because years back I saw some statistics on it and I think they were losing about three, four $400,000 a year to robberies and about, and multi-million dollars to forgeries
1: oh, yeah they were, well, the situation that I ran into my and daughter. they
0: hold themselves, they are responsible when they take a bad check that somebody forged oh,
1: yes <laughs> I've been, I had bank fraud committed on me uh, as along with credit card fraud which much bad. have you? no, uh-uh. it wiped <laughs> me out but you know what? Well, how did the, I mean,
0: if it's not too personal, how the hell does this happen?
1: I, I made a grievous error. I didn't do a background check on a fellow that I brought in to be my personal assistant
0: while I was finishing up a book. Personal assistant meaning? Meaning was quite often when I'm, when
1: I'm work- in the middle of heavy research on a book and I'm on a deadline, I've got all sorts of things going on, I'm used to having like an efficiency expert or an assistant. Somebody to collate the pages. Well, actually to take care of a lot of other stuff to free yeah. me up. Just to concentrate on the writing right, and uh I happened to this guy was highly organized, fantastic, he had i mean just the opposite of me I mean <laughs> everything was just bam bam, 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 but he was so organized, taking care of everything that he had access to all my banking information and everything, and
0: so bottom line is he had to forge your name, i'm assuming at that time to checks yeah, he did that twice. And why, why wasn't the bank responsible?
1: Well, they were, and here's what happens. The moment, uh, what is? what is is I went to pick up my new lovely Mercedes one day, and I came home, and everything in the apartment... Mercedes Smith? Yeah. Every... I remember her. Go ahead. Mercedes Rule was uh, <laughs> a roommate. <laughs> <laughs> you remember her. Uh-huh. Academy Award winner. Gotcha. But I digress. Uh, I came home, and everything in the apartment except myself was gone. The place was cleaned out. Oh, you got scooped. Cute. And uh, first thing I did, is I went right to the checkbook box of checks to see if anything was missing two were missing i immediately called bank of america and, <laughs> and said okay i got these stolen checks gave them the number had them fax me confirmation that i reported them lost
0: or stolen and they hadn't been negotiated yet not yet but they were how, the, how was they negotiated uh through the, another bank or something no
1: when it actually went into a uh bank of america
0: and uh you know, I, I've seen, I've had instances over the years through my practice where I've seen this kind of a thing, but what they do is they want to get a cashier's check. And they get the cashier's check, and then they put it to another bank, and then they take no, it out No, they of just, they
1: crap. just, uh, it was written out to one person, uh, taken, and he said, oh, and if you want to verify this, here's the phone number where Burl is. Uh, and they called the number that wasn't even mine, and someone says, yeah, hi, this is Burl, and yeah, I wrote that check. And, uh... It was for thousands of dollars, fortunately, or unfortunately. There was enough in the account to cover it at that time. And uh, I said, whoa, wait a second, wait a second. Uh, that was a forged check. In fact, uh, here, here is my confirmation from the bank that I, you know, ooh, sorry about that. Sounds like pretty good evidence. So they refunded the money, except about three months later, they pulled out half of it again. For some reason, one of the checks was circulating Somewhere in the bowels of their system, wound up in Denver being processed, and they just went ahead and ran it through again and took the money out of my account, which was horrifying because I just. Well, w- not just horrifying,
0: <laughs> it seems they're responsible.
1: Yes. Uh, and when I po- pointed that out to them, I said, Well, we didn't do a fraud investigation on this particular check. I said, You don't have to because, look, here's my documentation. Right, right, right,
0: right, right. I
1: said, I want a letter. From you, so okay. Here's where it really got complex. I had just written a check. I had two checking accounts, one with B of A and one with Wells Fargo. I, I had money going into B of A, and then I would pull out money and put it into a local Wells Fargo account for paying, you know, local things. Wells Fargo thought I was doing check kiting because the check bounced that I wrote to Wells Fargo. So they froze my account, returned all my checks, ran up like $600 in,
0: in fees. Nothing like a little surprise. Yeah,
1: and so I said to of A, hey, listen, uh, you really screwed up here because you go back here. See, look, way back, X number of uh, months ago, these were reported lost or stolen, not to be honored. I said, I want a letter that says... The letter they wrote merely said. Were you doing this
0: by phone or in person? In
1: mean, both, because in person is much better. They wrote a letter that simply said, "Some unauthorized checks were written on Mister Bear's account. You may have received one of them." They didn't say we honored. <laughs> right. They wouldn't cop to the the full meal deal. I just
0: want to hear how they weren't responsible here.
1: Well, they were. So finally, I got the money back. But in the meantime, uh, and I got that money back. But the the credit card stuff. I mean, it was it was a, a real nightmare. Uh, the guy's in prison for uh, actually a long, long time because
0: he was real good at identity With theft. Your account, I'm surprised it wasn't a
1: misdemeanor. <laughs> I had money in those days, Don. I had money in those days.
0: I know. I'm kidding.
1: Uh, he, it was, his expertise was identity theft. While he was in prison, he stole the identity of another prisoner who was up for parole and walked out of the penitentiary here in California and was gone a week. Well, oh, that's cool. It that is cool. I, I had to admire him for that. Right, that's kind of interesting. As much as I disliked the guy, I thought that was cool. Except he didn't have the good sense to, like, leave the state or leave the town. He just hung around. Uh... Hung around, and they caught him a week later at Western Union trying to do another financial scam. Now, if you escape from prison, that automatically adds another 15 years to your sentence. Mm-hmm. He will not be getting out anytime soon, and I certainly hope he likes his 600-pound Samoan roommate. <laughs> wow! Wow! Yep, yep. The interesting thing was, is he had been sentenced to life previously. I found out on three strikes, but he was released because the two strikes of the three were from Florida, and California on appeal. California said oh, you can't count the two in Florida as three in California.
0: I'm not a big fan of this of this three strikes no. law. Uh, too many exceptions and too many problems.
1: Well, that was the, the situation with uh, with Arthur Lee, may his soul rest in peace, of the famous for the rock group Love, uh, who uh, had two against him from years before, and he moves into a new house here in uh, Los Angeles, and one of his uh, friends, having to move in upstairs, finds a handgun in a box upstairs. In the, like in the attic this house he's moving into yeah, there are a couple billion of those in the country the guy picks up the gun and he, you know like an idiot pulls the trigger and, and fires it illegal go ahead bang so call the cops whatever the guy says guys I found this up in the attic it went off they didn't bother him but it was Arthur who had just bought the house or rented the house uh-huh. he had two strikes from 20 years ago or something they go, well, you're a convicted felon. You can't be around a, a a handgun. This is reminiscent of the loaf of bread with Jean Valjean. Yeah. He goes, but 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 and everyone's going, but he didn't even touch it, he didn't even see it. He was he was outside downstairs moving boxes. This guy finds it in the attic. And nope, sorry. He got uh for like fourteen years, served seven before the whole thing was overturned. Whoops. <laughs> well, finally it was... It I'm was, sure they apologized, was, though. It's, oh, we're awfully sorry.
0: Of course they did. How, <laughs> how much did they pay him? Uh, probably not a damn thing. I thought they always compensate him yeah, under false imprisonment. I just... Uh, rather. Right
1: what was the guy who got... Uh, they figured out it was something like $5.50 an hour. <sighs> they uh, they wrecked. Yeah, recompense. I've seen that kind
0: of calculation. I just sort of shake my head. And thank God I'm not doing that kind of law anymore.
1: Yeah. Well, it wasn't, we were talking about Geronimo Pratt. FBI wrote him a check for $16 million, but he spent 27 years, most of it in solitary, for a crime he didn't commit. It wasn't even the same town. Well, that's <laughs>
0: got to be worth $5.50 an hour. <laughs> yeah. I yeah.
1: Well, at the FBI, said, yeah, we framed you. Sorry, here's $16 million. But that, so
0: it was, uh, this Michael Mattoff who was wandering around trying to find us, where did you run across this uh, I bumped into the answer, document analyst. Uh,
1: I bumped into mutual friends in Santa Monica. And we struck up a conversation, and uh, he confirmed exactly what you said, is that... Uh, he talked about a particular case that I wish he was here to say, where attorneys come to him and say, we have a situation we think uh, was either uh, deeds or wills or something were forgeries. And the examiner goes, damn right they are. <laughs> and, of course, it didn't go. All they do is go, as you say,
0: go back to the other Yeah, I people. ran across this years back in a codicil to a will that changed everything. Yeah. Not for long. Not for long. <laughs> <laughs> well, also
1: the thing of of, of doing... a. Uh, uh, Cutting and pasting from one, do- or taking a, a real signature off of one document, and then trying to cut, paste you know, lob it onto another one. You know, in
0: this digital era, I wouldn't think it's that hard to do. Well, this
1: also makes it, uh, yeah, it does make it difficult in the in this digital era. But then again, if you're going to have things notarized and all sorts of stuff like that, well, you can forge a notary too. Yeah, with a little raised thingies on it, it gets real difficult. It's like will contesting, you
0: know. Back in Illinois, when I first got my first license, there, they had the system where you had to have a seal on top of the notarization. Mm-hmm. You know, signed, sealed, and delivered. That that story.
1: Signed, sealed. Exactly. <laughs> the uh, the interesting thing about it, if you're trying to do a forgery, now, now interested like on the Howard Hughes, uh, Clifford Irving. I know a lot about
0: I know a lot about that case because my former partner was very involved in the Mormon will case. Oh. Wow. So <laughs> knew all about the, the Dumar will, and God bless Harold Roden, who was handling it, and, uh, and it was quite a story because uh, everybody in the courtroom, that is all the clerks, bailiffs, and whatever, they were convinced that the will that Dumar presented was authentic. Mm-hmm. And there was a European handwriting expert who so testified, and yet the verdict came in that it was not authentic. On
1: what basis? What did, uh, what did they base it on?
0: They based it on all the testimony of the other experts, blah, 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 blah. Oh, so, blah. so they had
1: battling experts.
0: Well, yeah, and all that was involved was about five major hotels in Las Vegas at the oh,
1: time. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, there wasn't
1: much at stake in that one.
0: <laughs> no, not much at all.
1: Did you ever see the Orson Welles film F for Fake, or read Clifford Irving's book, the book about the book, uh, or see the Richard Gere film?
0: <laughs> but, I saw the Richard Gere film.
1: Yeah, Richard Gere film was fairly accurate except they changed some locations, but uh, oh, all in all, it was it was uh, it was dead on. But the thing about Imitating or impersonating someone's handwriting is that maybe you can do it on a signature, maybe you can do it on a few words, but the longer someone writes, trying to write in the handwriting of somebody else, the more the person's own whatever characteristics are going to come through. It's very difficult to maintain for a long period of time. That's what I found so
0: fascinating about the Howard Hughes stuff. But one of the things I wanted to ask this expert about. is something that's happened in my office for many years. I've got a secretary. What, people
1: forging your name to checks? I've well, not
0: on <laughs> checks, but my secretary's been with me for over 30 years, and she has the capability of signing my name. Exactly like yours, And I can't tell the difference, mm-hmm. and I'd be curious what he looks for, because as time goes by, when it comes to your signature, it becomes more and more illegible, particularly somebody that signs their name a lot. Mm-hmm. And, um never have had a question check document or anything that was signed like that although you know i limited obviously but uh, i could do my wife's
1: signature my daughter can do my ex-wife's my ex-wife's signature perfectly but i she could write an entire
0: sentence in fact the yeah. other day i i signed some letter real real quick like and i said to him, I said, hey this looks like your version of my signature it was identical <laughs> <laughs> well that that now that raises a lot of issues how would somebody know well, they wouldn't. But what I was kind of interested to hear about is uh, what this expert claims that he can determine. That is, he's telling me that he can uh, find personality traits, quirks, behavior profiles from your signature. And that, to me, is like fortune-telling. I can't... No,
1: he, he says it's not like fortune-telling at all. Is that there are certain ways that people do lines in their signatures or lines when they write words, the slants, the directions, whether well, weighed uh, letters are connected or not connected that uh, by having a database of millions of these, which apparently this, is, this has been an ongoing process for, for decades of using, this, uh, using a certain technique, that there are, like, symptoms. And I'll g- give you an example.
0: Give me an example, because I find this very difficult to believe, and I intended on challenging Mr. Madoff on this very concept. Is the very...
1: Uh, I wrote out a, a, a sentence, form, or paragraph, whatever, and he looked at it. Does he give you the sentence he wants you to write out? Yeah, everyone does the same one. Okay. And, uh, and that's because in previous research, there were people from all over the world who wrote out the exact same thing and sent it to this researcher who predates this fellow by several decades. He's been going on a long time, same project. The very first thing he said about me was incorrect.
0: Well, that's not a, not a
1: good sign. <laughs> yes, it was a good sign, but I'll <laughs> tell you why. He said, uh, you're a good swimmer. And I said, no, I'm not. I'm you got,
0: you're a good swimmer from your handwriting. Yeah. Now, let me tell you why.
1: And he was incorrect. And I said, no, I'm not. In fact, I don't swim at all. And he said, thank you. That only leaves two. That's a symptom of three things.
0: That's what the fortune tellers No, do. no, no, they don't. I've, I've done a lot of fortune tellers.
1: <laughs> it means either you are lactose intolerant or you're claustrophobic. From swimming to lactose intolerant Intolerant to claustrophobic. Isn't that that kind of a divergence? Yes, completely and what and of the 3 the if you don't swimming, this I'll give
0: you a third one No no
1: no cuz it's only be only okay, those I, I can only be those
0: three <laughs> Hey
2: Don Don you were so you are so and by the way I know this ain't my show or nothing but I I have to well, you Jesus a, God what don't you believe Nobody. What don't you believe Burl Is there anything <laughs> out there tarot, How about Tarot card No because no there's not there's nothing in the Tarot, tarot a, cards. this is exactly No he's the same not a, and crap, tell. and you it's not believe a fortune teller he's not it's like oh well I don't swim at all Well no that was a good thing see what he's proving is that he's full of crap, Burl. Now listen Jesus listen God. carefully. That no, means, I don't have to. I heard, I, I not, heard enough. He's full of crap. <laughs> and by the way, these these handwriting analysis experts have been disproven time and time and time and well, time again. Well, they're good when it it's, comes to
0: authenticating whether a
2: signature or somebody's signature. Is, signature. Right, right. That's it. That's as far as and I go with that's where it ends. But they cannot tell you what you do, what you're about. What, it's You might as well read someone's fortune, as you were saying, Don.
0: <laughs> because here's, here's the classic example. So he says, write the sentence. So I intentionally write the sentence with all kinds of flourishes I don't ordinarily put in my right. handwriting writing. How does he figure that one out? I
1: mean, you're have to ask him if he gets
0: here. Uh, but okay, convenient. Yes.
1: Now, the, the, here is the thing. I said, no, you're totally wrong.
0: He said, well, this particular... <gasps> exactly. S- right. No, no, wait, and it wasn't Bingo. like that. Bingo. No. And he also does behavior profiles from your signature.
2: Oh, of course. And it's pure
1: crap. <laughs> it's pure crap. Uh, God, I wish this guy would show up so we could pummel him. <laughs> He's a nice guy. Interesting, you were talking about your signature, what? your signature changes over time. <laughs> he said, the guy whose signature has never changed... Is Charles Manson? Oh, God. So well, he's most a, he's people a consistent wacko, consistent so. wacko. <laughs> but everybody else, you like my signature's changed over years. Matt's has changed. Oh, when he worked at really. mine know, is a
0: chicken scratch at this point. Yeah. Was it when you were 17? No, when so I was 17, you know? I used to make each letter. You know, mm-hmm.
1: but now you're a busy man. You don't have time for that. <laughs> then it became the first and the last letter, and now it just. A... God. <laughs> But uh, getting back to the legal application... Well, I still want to hear
0: about how he went from lactose intolerance... Oh, I'll tell you why. ...from swimming. Very simple. Oh, okay. I'm sure, I'm sure it's simple. <laughs>
1: it is very simple. It's simple for Burl. It's simple for Burl because Burl's a simpleton, and a big dummy. I
0: did not say <laughs> No, <that>. I did. <laughs> and that's not what I was inferring. Okay. That is... I'm glad this guy didn't show up. We're having too much fun. Okay. <laughs>
1: Maybe we'll show up. We'll still have fun because he's, he's a fun guy. The, just as with, say, a physical symptom can indicate a few different things. There is one writing symptom or stylistic symptom that indicates only three things. And he's mentioned the most common one first. And I said, No, he says, Oh, that only leaves two. Which one of these two is it? And I said, That one. He Okay, then he went on and uh, you
0: know, went well, on. This. So I, I heard about swimmer and lactose intolerant. intolerant there was a third? The third one was claustrophobic. Which I oh, well, that goes right together. No, they, they don't go together. <laughs>
2: Excuse me, I'm a Virgo. Tell me about that. <laughs> oh,
0: no, it's not, none of that. None of that. He's not into that at
1: all. It's all that. It's the same crock of crap. I prefer tea leaves myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not into tea leaves here. Interesting. He did an interesting comparison of Albert Einstein and Richard Nixon's handwriting. which is Comparison? Yeah. There were similar All
0: right, I, I got to hear if you remember it. Jesus.
1: That is, that Richard Nixon was in, or it was, I guess he's dead now, isn't he? They buried him, I hope so. Yeah, well, he'll be very surprised if he's not dead. That Nixon was incredibly brilliant. He says, however, as you watch Nixon's handwriting change through the course of his presidency as all these things build up. <laughs> He starts start falling the apart. Get, the signature get smaller <laughs> and smaller? <laughs> and smaller? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, she showed me that. First, there was a, I'm, a, not a yeah. I'm not a crook. <laughs> I'm not a crook. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a crook. I'm not a crook. And every time he'd write that, the I would be big and the C would be big. And the longer it went, the C got kind of shaky and smaller. <laughs> <laughs> By the Actually, time he, he left
0: office, it was an X. <laughs> right, there'd, there'd
1: be a big R. You could see the full name, Richard, a big N with a Nixon. And as time went on. After a while, all that was left was like the shape of an arm, the shape of an N. by the end of his presidency, this guy slowly went down.
2: You know, you and you, you Pearl Bear, you and uh, Rosie O'Donnell, you need to get a room.
1: Speaking of Rosie O'Donnell. Oh, excellent. Speaking of Rosie O'Donnell, she has a book out, you know. Oh, super. Can't wait. <laughs> uh, it's called... Uh, I'm a big, dumb, fat idiot
2: who believes in every conspiracy theory. No, that was the prior
1: book. <laughs> yeah, that was the first one. No, this oh. one's called... Uh, what is it? There's something about being a sicko celebrity. <laughs> You mean a pseudo-celebrity? She has celebrity status. Of course
2: she does. She's a one-trick pony who did a great Oprah Winfrey impersonation for many years. Did she? And then, I don't know why Madonna found her so enjoyable, but Madonna... Helped her career. They mean, both
1: I, uh, uh, they both appeared in the movie Game of Their Own, yeah, League of Their Own. She's... I mean, more
2: you know, more power to her. But I I this this doesn't come from someone who's never met her. I I filled in for her at VH1, which is how I got my gig. Did you meet her in New, at New York. York? Yes, and I thought, wow, there is a see. But for her, hey. what would have happened to your career? Did you say, but
1: for her? But for her. Yeah. But for her. <laughs> <Yeah>. But for. <laughs> we do not talk about but for on this program. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is a high class station here.
2: Yeah, I don't get it. She was good in that. Remember that movie. Movie we were talking about a few months yeah, ago, she has a monologue
1: or whatever. For, yeah, yeah, she, she was she's supposed she, to be great in that. She was.
2: I mean, and, and she does have a modicum of talent, but when it comes to politics, she is as uh, over the top and Idiot. you noticed, uh, yeah, just nuts.
1: Well, there's some real wackos. Uh, you know, one thing I've yes, Burl, there are. <laughs> there are. <laughs> I have had same thing with uh, with rock stars and actors and stuff. Is I've had to learn to separate my appreciation for what they do on stage or in front of a camera. From their personality off stage. of course, I, I would, some of them are assholes, as, but they're as you, fantastic. As,
2: as you know, I, I don't tend to lean to the left, so if I if if I had to dislike every actor in Hollywood because of their left leaning, I wouldn't ever yeah, like I a movie you, or, any or any performance. Rumor, no. so I, I've been able to separate that for years. But as far as Rosie O'Donnell, she's never impressed me except that one movie where I thought she was she was good in that monologue,
1: and the movie happened to be
2: a great. Oh, uh, I great think it was vocal. what
1: two thousand whatever she had. A show that was very popular, and She stopped. She went off. She went off television
2: by popular request. <laughs> no, it wasn't by popular. wasn't by popular request. <laughs> I think it was. I don't know. I was, I I, really I, know. I was just I glancing
1: recall. through the book. There was this whole thing about her her uh, her mom dying and her addiction to celebrity, and she had a lot of emotional crap going on. And then she came back, and kind of had to kind of reinvent herself, I guess, to a certain extent. We should have her on the show. I think would be. Uh, would be entertaining. Mm. That
2: friggin' tongue of hers must work as quick as a weed whacker, that little wire in there, because this broad that she's with is a good-looking broad. is she? And you compare her uh, with Rosie O'Donnell, holy cow, it's wildebeest meets (laughs) the uh, beauty. Well, there must be something in there. That's what I'm saying. did you get that
1: picture I sent you, Matt? Oh, yeah, I was (laughs) funny.
0: That was a good You uh, can't see it on the radio, but... uh, Uh, See, if you ever put this kind of an expert on a witness stand... And they start talking about personality. No, they traits.
1: don't. But you don't ask them that when they're doing docu- forensic document analysis.
0: You, you get into a couple things. First of all, where did you learn this skill? What courses did you take to develop this skill? And is it a science or is it an art? I'm oh, not a crook. It, it's, a, it's an art, right? So it's capable of interpretation, no, I right? I think it's science. And uh, so you're well, going forensic document analysis is science. I, I would love a witness like this on a witness stand
1: have you ever used uh, of course I you say well, when you I've bring used, a,
0: yeah I've used experts but always just for purpose of authentication or yeah or that's because well,
1: yeah, you wouldn't bring someone on to talk about personality traits in a court of law yeah, yeah. and although and, I can remember that we come back to the fry test again which we talked about last week
0: that's the inadmissibility test yeah really. and that
1: is do enough scientists agree on this to make it, uh, that was the problem with DNA. Well, the that's the scan. reason
0: why these lie detector tests don't come into evidence in the federal system. Because there's, you can fake them, you can mess them up. They're the fry test, it doesn't fly. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: that was the same thing as I mentioned last week. Before, and it doesn't,
0: doesn't work in the state
1: system either for the same reason. Before they had DNA testing, the closest thing to it was
0: called allotyping. and uh, No, it, they had this, uh, I, I went through the year, it was tissue typing. That's yeah. what they were really doing. And they used to use these in paternity cases where there was a, uh, based on the statistics, they could exclude mm-hmm. you from paternity, and they could come up with a match to a point because they would use these tests for purposes, for instance, of a heart transplant. Right. But they were it was never as exact as it could be. And not as exact as DNA. No, no,
1: not even close. But see, in the Kirby Anthony trial which was where Kirby Anthony raped and murdered her, uh, his aunt and, and killed her and her two little kids, which is a horrifying case. This is a year before DNA. And so what they were using was called allotyping, and it had to go through that whole fry testing of, is this admissible? And it was also the first case
0: where an, uh, a profiler, an FBI profiler, was allowed to testify. Boy, I would love to hear the foundation for that testimony. <laughs> because these profilers to me are one step away from the, what they call these uh, distant readers? Yeah,
1: this is, this is the difference. We've had some real close to profile, like uh, uh, Kathleen Ramsland. Remember, we asked her, what does it take to be a profiler? And she says, working for the FBI?
0: <laughs> That's
1: it. Now, see, in that particular case, they took the crime scene photos and they faxed them to a fellow named Judson Ray, FBI. He said, based on the crime scene photos, what can you tell us about the person who did this? And he sent back a list of seven things. And he said, the person is the youngest in the family. Terrific. He has a physical defect that is very minor but major to him. He's worked at a variety of menial jobs. He knows these people intimately. He's not a stranger. He went to the way he had seven seven things from birth order to age, what his age would be, all based on the crime, how the crime scene appeared. And every one of them, bam, 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 bam. In fact, they were ready to go
0: in and... Yeah, but re- you're not going to use this kind of profiling to find somebody. It'll mask somebody who you ultimately catch. Well, no, I was the other way around. They almost were going to arrest a fellow who lived upstairs from the
1: victims because he had, uh, he was a previous conviction for a, a sex crime. You know, he was in their database, whatever lived right upstairs from the victims and he said, oh, well here's a guy who's uh, with a previous whatever and the guy jumped out the window and ran away figured they are going to come after me even though he was innocent well therefore he's guilty if he ran away, you know how well, that he was, works yeah, of course, he figured, oh, they're going to come after me because I've, you know, i got a, a history even though he didn't do it, and Judson Ray said no, that's not the guy because he doesn't know him, I can tell from the way the bodies, the way the the killings took place, they were strangled, they were laid down this particular way, that this person knew them. It's someone who knows them. And This guy didn't know these people at all. Well, he was absolutely correct. It was the nephew. And uh, the interesting thing is, is that when he was arrested, get this done, when he's arrested, they say, we're arresting you for rape, murder, and kidnapping. A kidnapping in his mind, in the, the guy who did this mind, you think of grabbing someone and taking him off somewhere and holding him for ransom. Well, as you probably know, kidnapping doesn't mean that necessarily. If you restrain anyone against their will, in some states, such as in Alaska, that's classified as kidnapping. So he didn't get upset that they said, we're charging you with murder. He didn't bat an eye. But when they said kidnap, he goes, kidnapping? What do you mean, kidnapping? Well, of course, you yeah. <laughs> know. Much part. rather be charged with murder than kidnapping. <laughs> <laughs> and he wasn't surprised with the murder, but I mean, kidnapping, how dare you? <laughs> and it didn't bother him. They, they would uh, The cops would try to get a rise out of him. He'd go back and forth to the trial, transporting him. Called him baby killer, which he was. Didn't bother him. But he'd also killed a, uh, a a transvestite. Thought the man was a woman, had a sexual favor done, and then discovered that dude looked like a
0: lady <laughs> and killed him. One of, the, one of the hybrids that I've run across with this uh, authentication issue has got to do with what's known as provenances to fine art. That sounds fancy. Well, it is. And what, what it is is that let's assume, uh, in this case, did involve a, a, a Rembrandt painting, which was supposed worth a great deal of money. And uh, what happened is that this estate was divided up based on the fact that uh, this client received a Rembrandt and some other paintings. And the authentication process is done through uh, typically Sotheby's or someone like that. Mm-hmm. And it's based on the history of the painting, the examination of the signature. It's, it's very, very technical. However, this one turned out to be a fraud. Ooh. And then the litigation really started to try to set everything aside, and it was a nightmare, and it went up to the courts of appeal. So uh, provenance is, is a variation on the same thing because art fraud is very common. Well, you're talking about major bucks.
1: <laughs> well, how many museums in America and around the world have priceless paintings that were actually done by Emile de Jore, <laughs> the world's greatest art forger? There you have it. And uh, if you ever see the film, which you can get, Orson Welles' film, F for Fake, which is a documentary, which has in it Emile de Hore and his close personal friend, Clifford Irving.
0: And Clifford Irving is kind of well known. Isn't yeah.
1: Well, they were all living on the island of Ibiza at the same time. And uh, Irving wrote a book about Elmir called Fake. And then right after that comes one of the biggest fakes in the world
0: the fake Howard Hughes case. <sighs> it wasn't a fake. <laughs> That's, that's what's so aggravating to me, is I, I was very, uh, not directly, but indirectly involved with that, and believe me, that Dumar will was authentic.
1: Oh, the Dumar, I'm, I'm talking about the Howard Hughes biography.
0: Oh, the biography, yeah, yeah, yeah that was phony, that was and it sold a lot of copies, too. Well, they burned the books, the book still hasn't come out. Is that what happened to him? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I always yeah. wondered
1: what the punchline was. Oh, yeah. Was he had that. to give back. He had to watch the Richard Gere movie. He When he finally had to admit, yep, made the whole, it just got out of hand. I just scammed everybody. And no, just I was just having fun. Having fun. And, of course, they gave him this incredible advance. It was a worldwide story. Then Howard Hughes calls on the phone and goes, I wish I was still in the movie business because you couldn't make up a story as good as this. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse <laughs> me to butt in, Burl, but... Um,
2: Don was starting to get interesting here. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the, you said Wilmar,
1: what'd you call the guy? Dumar.
0: Dumar. Eldon Dumar.
2: Dumar the, so the movie, of course, it came out and it's about. What to, wasn't in the movie? No,
1: but I mean, uh, Howard and me.
2: Yeah, yeah. It, 100% accurate. No, wait, but, uh, but go back to your facts because I, I've always been fascinated by this and I think as, um, as almost a, uh, uh, a person of this earth, I think we want that to be real. Right, we want yeah. that. Yeah.
0: Oh yes. I well, mean, when you how... hear... cool. And but explain. You know, a... when we heard the story, but explain tell, the tell story us the story. story movie, yeah. yeah. Tell the, the story. The, the story was that he picked up Howard Hughes on a highway somewhere right. out in Nevada. Nevada. Right. 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 This old, this old, old oh, wearing shoe Kleenex
1: boxes for shoes. Uh, yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and he was so thankful for what he did that he wrote a will, leaving a major portion, if not all, of the estate, to Melvin Dumar, wow. who mm-hmm. didn't know anything about it until after he died. Yeah. And then uh, what happened is that uh, Harold Roden, who was the attorney who was representing him, he was a friend of uh, Marvin Mitchelson, who I used to practice with in the 70s, they got involved in, uh, are we going to have a, a, let's try to get this will in, because what was involved, as I mentioned earlier, were five hotels, wow. not, not in Vegas, <laughs> because he controlled them all. And I can't remember who the name of um, the right-hand man was mm. to... uh Howard used financially. I can't think of it if I know who you're And he about. was behind the financing of having it set aside because the entire empire would have crumbled. And there was a huge amount of financing. And I remember at the time I had the opportunity of, so to speak, investing in this case or buying a house. I bought a house. Oh, you say that? We say that with <laughs> such sadness. <laughs> Just no, no, I didn't because I, I watched uh, mitchelson and some others invest an awful lot of money. And Roden pretty much invested his career in this damn case. The thing was tried for months. But in, did they do, not he... do some forensic examination yeah, sure of of and his signature? Of and what had writing. happened is that uh, Roden had obtained the foremost handwriting expert from Europe, mm-hmm. who testified that it was real. Wouldn't that be fun if we had one of those experts here today that we could ask him? We could yeah. query him yeah. regarding these. And uh, And <laughs> the estate got uh, some other experts. So what did they say? They said yes or they no? They finally said that no, the Dumar will was not authentic.
2: Well, then why would we not believe them?
0: <sighs> because, says Don. What happened? You, at, think a pay- early, you think it's a payoff? Everybody in the court was in tears. They all couldn't believe that they didn't find the will valid the clerks the bailiffs the judge was a little shook up nobody believed other than the fact that it was real no and uh, bingo and the jury comes in and says it isn't no nah, it's a fake well i mean what you know what is a jury
2: to do they they have to go with the, the supposed credible witnesses the forensic folks
1: and they that, have
0: opposing they're forensics. opposing forensics Oh, they, so they had, was down. Yeah, they had uh, they being um, the the U.S. representative Dietrich was it? Yes, yes,
1: yes, yes. Yeah,
0: they had a, a, a um, an American uh, forensic, and uh, Roden used a European uh, forensic on that, and uh, just didn't fly. And that's months of testimony and witnesses and whatever and dumar and it, it just was a nightmare
1: poor mr melvin must have felt melvin dumar must have
0: felt bad afterwards and yet what else could you expect from somebody like howard Hughes in to do something like this
1: sounds very Hughesian to me we'll be right back after this short break only one thing worse than children who kill. The mother who made them do it. Mom said kill. The mother, Barbara Opal, promised her 14-year-old daughter a brand new dirt bike if she and her little friends would murder her employer. I'll tell you one thing. The kid never got the dirt bike. Mom Mom said said kill by legendary true crime writer Burl Bear. Available now wherever fine books are sold. From Pinnacle, True Crime, Mom said kill. Kill.
0: Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. <laughs> I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. Sure I didn't supply the microphone.
1: Hi, I am Burl Bear. That's Don Waldman. We're both brilliant. I'd like to uh, mention, because we were just uh, happened to have a little commercial there for Mom Said Kill, my forthcoming book, Fatal Beauty, comes out January 4th, 2011, you can advance order it from any bookstore you like or online from your favorite bookseller.
0: Yeah, you favored me with your new book cover, and I gather Rhonda Glover was a beautiful girl. Oh, she was. Because you used an older picture, I
1: gather, of her on the cover, and she was beautiful. Oh, yeah, she was. She was quite a looker. And in fact, they, they keep running on the, uh, snapped on the Oxygen Network. Uh, the past few weeks have been running the episode about Rhonda. And you can go on uh, to oxygen, uh, was it oxygen.com or whatever the one that is, and look for a snapped. And they even have some bonus features with me talking about the case on the uh, on the website. So uh, I encourage you all to advance order that book. So that when it comes out, it's an immediate bestseller. <laughs> and
0: of course, when you get into this uh, document forgery, you've got all kinds of uh, information coming out of the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement because they're dealing with this problem of phony birth certificates, death certificates, entry documents, all the time. And these things are works of art. They're not just done sloppily.
1: No, there's uh, passports as well, and passports are increasingly difficult to do. Now, I did a book called Man Overboard, The Counterfeit Resurrection of Phil Champagne, uh, about a guy who changed...
0: Anything you haven't written a book about? Uh,
1: No. How many books have you now written? Oh, I know a dozen or so. (laughs) I mean, I don't pay to have them printed. They pay me to write these, actually. Uh... (laughs) Uh, that, how, much of, that was, how
0: much of you goes into these books? Well, it entirely depends.
1: If it's a one of my pinnacle true crime stories, I have to be the Joe Friday, right? It's just just, just the fact just the facts, I'm, I'm the, the narrator, fact. I'm the journalist, and so any commentary, any wise, any of the wise ass commentary that I'd make,
0: which Wait, I you, would, you, you get into dangerous ground when you start putting out opinions. In yeah, a so I
1: can't I can't put out any book. opinions. What I do is I have people who say
0: put your opinions in my mouth <laughs> <laughs> i gotta remember that during the next show <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: and, and what in fact uh, in in fatal beauty and in mom Sid kill there's a character who does commentary throughout the book named jeff reynolds
0: jeff reynolds when you say does commentary what do you mean, means,
1: quote, quote, I mean uh, quotes oh, yeah quote okay, There's quotes gotcha. from this fellow let's say uh, uh crime journalist jeff reynolds says i'm jeff reynolds Uh, That happens to be the name of the fictional private eye in my private eye series. Uh, And it says in the introduction that Jeff Reynolds is an alias for a well-known crime writer. That just happens to be me. So in this way, I can give commentary without Pearl Bear giving the commentary. And that's a a common technique. Fred Wolfson also gives a lot of commentary and uh, uh, Fatal Beauty. A lot of it penned by me, <laughs> with his kind permission. So that's, that's the way around it. And of course, other books in my, my novels, there's a, a lot of me in there. So, But when you're writing true crime, you have to be just the facts man. And boy, and fact check like crazy. I have an error, speaking of Man Overboard. There's a mistake in that book that I didn't know about until after it came out.
0: Of consequence, or
1: just? Well, semi consequence. I mentioned that a particular attorney who I wanted to interview. Uh, had died. And there was wasn't a way of validating whether this particular thing was true particular incident was true or not. Well about six months after the book comes out I get a phone call from, from the, the attorney, dead, I no doubt. From the dead guy. Hello. He goes, I'm not dead <laughs> He says, and I can tell you what happened in that The particular rumors situation. of my death are premature, right? <laughs> and he said, Who told you I was dead? And I said, this other attorney, so and goes, That son of a bitch he says he told he told you that on purpose. You know, that I was so he wouldn't call me.
0: Well, you don't file what they call a notice of errata when you make a mistake like that, do you? Nah, this,
1: I mean, it didn't affect the major outcome. It just left something kind of unexplained, is why was it this particular thing happened? Or why was it that, that, you know, he said, that we all went to this restaurant, but you talk to the people who were supposed to be there, none of them remember uh, the guy being there. Well, that's because, actually, they weren't there. There was a substitute that night.
0: Wasn't this, wasn't this peripheral to the main story,
1: though? Well, it had to do with the validity or veracity of the part of the story. You know, we went to this restaurant, we ate there, then we went out on the boat, but the people in the restaurant say, well, I didn't see that. I mean, It wasn't exactly like that, but the, the basic idea. Uh, there was, had I talked to this particular... I
0: would think there has eye, to be these kind of mistakes in every true crime book. It's impossible to get all the facts correct. Well, you, you do because your best. There's big quotes around facts,
1: Well, this is, as I always say in the introduction or in the afters of the books, any errors of fact are unintentional. I mean, every effort has been made to be as accurate as possible. Because
0: you're going to base a lot of what you're going to be doing based on, I would assume, on witness testimony, et cetera. Now, if that witness is incorrect, you're quoting incorrect facts. And quite often you'll have contradictory
1: statements. And though things will change, this is very, I find this interesting, is that you will have the police report that only the police sees, jury doesn't see you. The testimony that's because it's hearsay. you can't cross-examine a police, police report. report. see.: yeah, That's right. <laughs> the police report says one thing. The original interviews says one thing. The testimony on the stand is slightly different. It happens a lot, and uh, which one do you go with? I, I go with them both. <laughs> <laughs> in, in speaking to the police, so and so said, and I quote directly. That's kind of a juggling act, bro, Yeah, and uh, said, you know, or I picked the one that said that that one thing that you there actually is a what we call forensic journal, journalism
0: the way we call it, where someone who writes for a living. Wait a minute, I'm still thinking about that term forensic journalism. Yeah, okay, yeah, okay. You're recreating this, with your journalism. Yeah, that is happened?
1: where, let's say. You bring in a police report. You give me a police report. I can read it, and usually I can tell you what parts the
0: policeman is making up. No, wait a second. <laughs> how, how can you do that? The same when way I have handled these cases, and that's a project to prove that these reports are wrong. I'll, t-
1: I'll tell you how you can do it. So what? Burl, hold on. What? So what? I'm sorry. But so what? Burl.
2: So what? Burl writes is. Somewhat true crime. <laughs> no, it's, it's, but, but, as true, but as true as you can possibly get it. Well, no, as true as you can possibly
0: it, get it. It's crime. almost yeah. true crime. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yet uh, that okay, has uh, to that's, be that's, that's the a, nature a, of the animal in all these. Well, this is kind of a technique Brooks, that, that's no. used.
1: Let's say that uh, Matt our, here is, is accused of having uh, burgled the uh, Gelsons, right? And we say, okay, Matt, I want you to sit down and, and write what you did uh, last night. And he was writing along, and everything is nice and succinct until you get to the time. I've eaten a slice of peach there. Yes, I know you're famous for eating peaches. We've heard about that on your show. Fuzzy stuff. <laughs> <tough. laughs> but gets to the, the time when supposedly the robbery happens, all of a sudden, he's going into great detail about where he was that wasn't Kelson's, and far too much detail for that Time, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And so these are things that are are tip-offs. Let's say if you're going to do something like say be an attorney or be a rock and roll disc jockey or whatever, you're going to get training and you're going to get study. You're going to learn it.
0: Well, well I, don't, I know about an attorney. I'm not yeah. sure about the other. Yeah, the other. Well, if you have
1: if you have a low enough morality quotient, you can get hired at any radio station.
0: Yeah. Well, maybe it is similar to an attorney. I guess <laughs> that's why parole has worked at some of the greatest stations. In
1: actually <laughs> if you want to be a program director, all you have to do is give them a list of all the ones you put in the toilet.
2: Right? Oh, yeah. No, no, no. You, that's
1: true. No, you
2: you uh, succeed upwards as a program director. Yeah.
1: I mean, this happens. How many of you destroyed, like?
2: <laughs> uh, it's, fr- it's friggin' incredible, but that's the honest-to-God truth. That is yeah. the honest-to-God
0: truth. Yeah. Well, um, before we run out of time, I... Uh accidentally happened to go to in cold blog and i see that Corey mitchell is bringing down the website are you aware of this oh yeah of course because I, I write for in cold blog it what made, the hell is happening it. this is like the website i know it,
1: it is very famous uh what happened from my understanding is he had uh the editor michelle did a fantastic job handling it she got busy on something he took it back and he just didn't have the time the energy whatever and so, so what are they
0: from so, it out to a third party well you? that's
1: what apparently from what i understand and i can't tell stories out of school is that yeah. Yes, trying. you do every day. <laughs> okay, here's a story out of school. He wanted to give it back to her to keep it going if they could work out the, the you, you need out. to take it over, Burl. Oh, I'd write.
0: You could. What? I'm, I'm you not You could do a, a great rem- job with it. I, I could write, but as far as. Explain for <laughs> our audience what this is so they understand how major this is. It is
1: the most prestigious true crime site uh, in the world on the internet. Uh, the best writers, including me, of
0: course, <laughs> and not just writers, by the no, way. No, no, no. Experts from all fields of criminal law, murderers. Yes. Well, those <laughs> kind of experts. Yeah. Uh No, really. The, no, the, investigators. The uh, best, top the, to bottom. Absolutely, absolutely the best. Aaron Moriarty is very famous. Who's on that? From uh, from what is it? Forty Happy dollars? Happy Days. She yeah, played yeah, Chachi's. Yeah, uh, she did. Yeah, yeah.
1: She put a little weight after that, though. <laughs> but uh, it may be. It may still be not going away after all, if they can work it out. Do you,
2: do you want to re- restate that last uh, comment?
1: about <laughs> <laughs> Aaron Moriarty? No. Know <laughs> what she did say, though, and I got a kick out of it. It's, it's uh, in the archives on the show. Someone asked, how do you get such good guests? What do you do? Promise them a toaster? And so we said to Aaron Moriarty, you're such a, you know, uh, you know, multi uh, uh, Emmy Award winner, all this. Why, why are you on True Crime? with Burl Bear and Don Walden?" She said, because Burl Bear called me a crime hottie. And that means more to me than all the Emmy Awards.
0: <laughs> Thanks about as much sense as anything else we've heard today, I guess.
1: Yeah. <laughs> now, where, okay, getting back to the thing about the forgery, et cetera. Sure. When Phil Champagne, this would be 1982, he decides to make new ID, get a new identity. In those days, you could get yourself a Letraset kit and sit down and make a fake Rhode Island driver's license to get into Mexico, and they didn't know the difference. Now, it's not so easy to make a
0: fake driver's license. It's not fake... so easy, but they do it there's every there's day. A, yeah, yeah. It's done all the time. But
1: in in fact, you could just get an electric, you know, sit there and scrape it and cut and paste in fact,
0: it. In last I heard the going price for a phone, it was 100 bucks. Hey,
1: they, they, Heck well, of a deal.
2: they sell them over there, you know, the, the world's greatest, uh, or at least the best pastrami in Los Angeles, Langer's, right in that neighborhood. They're really? They're selling crap all the time. Oh, they're selling uh, IDs, passports. Needle Park. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right <laughs> next to the courthouse. Right, they're right, park. right well, next to the courthouse. Very <laughs> close. Close to the courthouse where I visited uh, many times. I mean, the the, ins- the the courthouse of insanity. <laughs> it's sort of what I, I can't remember Burl's I mean, uh, uh, um, Don Waldman's explanation of why this exists. But this is this fantasy, weird courthouse where, depending on what floor, you'll find bizarre 60s pictures <laughs> up on the wall. and You know which one? You went there with me. It's like the freakiest. Really? Oh, it's. it's what like what a, part of town is the, this? That's that commonwealth yeah, courthouse. It's the weirdest thing. And you high-powered divorce guys, they, they don't want to have anything to do with that joint. Well, what they
0: also do sometimes, uh, this is a real bizarre court. It really it is. Is. <laughs> it is. I've is never that, seen a non-bizarre court. I've yet. had several what they call long-cost trials magically be transferred over to that courthouse for trial. Yeah. And uh, it's bizarre. I, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, there's little kiosk all around the courthouse
1: by selling souvenirs. No,
0: selling <laughs> representation. <I don't>, God. <laughs> it's a it's a crazy. I ain't making ass this joke. up. Oh
1: yeah. Uh, no, I'll, I'll underbid him. I'll be your lawyer.
0: <laughs> because one of the side things they're they doing do over that. there, they do they're involved in the uh, child support enforcement against all the people who can't afford lawyers. Ah. And uh, if they don't get lawyers, they can get a lot of trouble over there.
1: The one that I think is fascinating about uh, Los Angeles is, this is what was the figures on this, 600 times a month, at least this transpires, is a woman says, hmm, I'm having a baby. Let's see. I bet Matt Allen would be the good baby daddy. Right. So I'm going to put down that uh, Matt Allen is the father, and let's see, I'll just pick an address, you know, 1839 Crestline Drive. They they do that. And... uh, they sent out a notice to Matt Allen to contest this to this address where he's never going to get it. Right. So he doesn't respond in time. Boom, the judgment is against him.
2: Guilty until proven innocent.
1: 600 times
0: a month this happens in L.A. Oh, makes sense. And I wonder how many of them can afford to set these damn things aside.
1: And the worst thing you can ever do is if you accidentally make a payment. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. If you make a payment. Usually what happens is not accidentally. All of a sudden somebody's loving against a bank account for payments. Mm-hmm. And then you got, then you got to prove it, and you yeah. got to start from square one.
1: Hello, it's is that exciting? <laughs> 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 oh, and don't get into the whole thing about guardianships and well, well. Hey, boy, time sure flies when you're having fun. Next week we have Ooh, we got the Tony Distefano,
0: author of King of the Godfathers. Is this the guy, name, I mean, it's the Italian stereotype. I suppose, this guy but Pul- I expected Pulitzer
1: Prize winning author, Pulitzer Prize winning journalist from New York. Uh, He also, ironically or interestingly enough, wrote the first in-depth study of America's response to human trafficking, the Human Trafficking Act, Victims of Human Trafficking Act, two thousand. We did Uh, so many
0: shows about that just recently.
1: Yeah, so he's going to mostly concentrate on organized crime in New York and the last King of the Godfathers, and that uh, that'll be next week. The week after that, Woo Boy we got the guy who stole Elvis' body or tried to steal Elvis' body. Didn't we have this guy on before? No, no, we've been talking about him. He's going to be coming. And you know what, with somebody him, else had something to do with and that. And with him, uh, Steve Jackson, uh, who was here when yeah, I, I wasn't. Him. Yeah, right. And uh, that's coming up on the phone. we got a whole bunch of great stuff in August. Anyway, Magic, Matt Allen, the demons of decadence, including Don and myself, will still be here. <laughs> <laughs> but first, we have to do the most important thing of all. we got to sit back, relax. And play the hits. Come on, whoa. whoa. I'm knocking over bottles I didn't mean to. It's a good thing they didn't break. Right here on Outlaw Radio. I've been watching you for days now, baby. I just love your sexy waste now, baby.